0: Hey, everybody. It's Michelangelo Caruso. I'm here with Eddie Murray. He's a Detroit sports legend. Hi, Eddie. Hi. How
1: are you doing, Michael?
0: It's great to connect with you. I grew up with you, man. I'm sure you hear that from everybody that, you know, Detroit Lions. (laughs) The older I get,
1: I hear it a lot. Yes.
0: (laughs) You may hear it more than you care to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's just nice to be remembered.
0: Well, we're going to talk a little bit about your days as a Detroit Lion and also um, your new life. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah it's interesting, you know, when people retire from professional sports, if they're not in the broadcasting booth, we sometimes lose track of people, you know, what do they do for the next 30 or 40 years of their life? You're currently involved as an ambassador for something called Hope Network. Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yes, absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. I I was um, introduced to Hope Network uh, about 10 years ago. uh, I'm an avid golfer and uh, I love supporting uh, charity events. So the the usual Monday golf outings, you know, there's charity, uh, uh golf outings ar- around, uh, and I happened to uh, participate in one that was a fundraiser for hope network uh, here locally. Um, of course, enjoyed the day. Uh, got to meet some of the uh, principals at hope network, uh, primarily, uh, Phil Weaver, who is, uh, the CEO of hope network. And, uh, had a very nice conversation with him and, um, following year the uh, the event came up again so i got invited to go i remembered i had a good time it was a good cause so i attended the event again met up with phil and um he asked if uh i would be interested in having lunch with him uh you know that week some you know later in the week uh, which i did and uh at that meeting he asked if i had ever sat on a board before and i said well um At that time, I was on the Michigan Sports Hall of Fame board because i had been inducted into it previously. And I was approached by the principals uh, to uh, help be an ambassador and talk about the uh, Michigan Sports Hall of Fame. And uh, I said, but, you know, really, we don't really. It it didn't seem too intensive. What do you need me to do with Hope Network? And so he he basically said, like you said, I I need you to be an ambassador. We are growing our services. uh, And Southeast Michigan is kind of like the last area because uh, they're primarily a Western um, nonprofit organization. So uh, I agreed. And uh, that's how I got involved uh, with Hope Network. I started to sit on their board. Well,
0: uh, I'm just learning about this organization. It's a lot bigger than I thought it was. Apparently, they and I don't know if this number is current, 30,000 people in Michigan.
1: Yeah, we service uh, uh, at least 30, maybe 35,000 mental health uh, uh, individuals, whether it is uh, from birth or it could be from a a stroke or a um, catastrophic car injury, where there is some kind of closed head uh, uh, injury. And we uh, help them go through uh, rehab or um, other services to get them back to as independent of a life as we could possibly give them. Uh, As we all know, you know, uh, normal is a word people throw out, you know, what is normal for people, but we try to get them to their, their best recovery after the uh, incident that they have, and, uh, and the, really the best, the best life that they could possibly have. And it's not just mental health, it's, uh, well, I guess autism
0: is related to mental health, child yep. literacy, opioid abuse, um, yep. uh, brain rehabilitation, and also workforce development. I imagine you're placing people Back into that the is correct individual?
1: yes, that is correct. so what we uh, what we have uh, that that's actually uh, one of our really um, uh, strong um, advocacies that we have is with individuals that are um, coming out of hospital or institutional settings, and they're getting back to the point uh, where uh, they're having some independence, now what we do is we have a workforce development where we help people. Uh, get some training, and uh, if uh, they fall in to the point where uh, they are doing well with their training and they are um, in a position that they could be hired, we then find jobs for them. Rather than, for lack of better words, kind of like throwing them out and and letting them go through the weeds and try to figure out how to do it, and there's usually a lot of um, pushback and uh, frustration for them. We cut all that down by going through some training help them uh, with some of those issues that they may have at the beginning. It could be just something as simple as they have to fill out their time card and they become frustrated with it because they're not quite sure what it is. So it doesn't need to be something really extensive. It could be something that is, to us, menial and it should be easy to understand. But for them, it's a big task and and they need to learn these types of uh, skills.
0: Yeah, well, you're doing hero work and, and you're hitting all the hot buttons. Autism is a huge issue today. opioid use. I just uh, read recently that the word opioid is still not recognized by Microsoft Word and Facebook. If you type it into Facebook, it underlines Mm. it like you, like the word doesn't exist.
1: Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a hot, I mean, you know, look what's uh, happening uh, just with uh, President Trump. I mean, uh, he's been a big advocate for trying to get opiate uh, abuse uh, under control. And I know for us, Uh, it's a real hot topic. It just seems like there's more and more um, incidents out there of people having a lot of issues with it. And um, uh, it's something for us that is, uh, we kind of dipped our toe into it because we really weren't quote unquote like a drug rehab facility. Although we have just recently acquired a drug rehab facility up in the Grand Rapids area that have four locations. And uh, the approach that we are taking to drug abuse is more of a medical approach to it. The The old um, um, platform for it was you go through your 30 days, 60 days, you talk about your issues, you admit that you have an issue, and you talk about the, the mental side of things, but no one addresses the actual physical part, like what... M- uh, medically you need. And there is a lot of research that there is other medications that can help you with the um, uh, the, the transfer that you're going to be having from being under you know, the grips of uh, addiction of whatever you are at that time. And this way, there's more of a follow-up rather than they go through 30 days, they go back out into a general life and what ends up happening, they Hang around the same people; they do the same habits. They get in, yeah, they yeah. go right back into that that um, merry-go-round of just constantly getting back into the the bad habits.
0: Yeah, recidivism is a huge issue. I, I think if you don't have the complete support system, Correct. you're not going to have as many success stories to tell later on. Uh, Eddie we are so delighted you're going to be speaking on December 4th to Troy Rotary and guests this event will be held at Tryon solutions one of our mutual friends in the community yes, absolutely and, and uh, this is located everybody at 888 West Beaver West Big Beaver Road in Troy I'll put all of the, the who what where down in the mm-hmm. comment section of the video for people to uh, sign up um, And a similar program that day. We'll talk about Hope Network. We'll also talk a bit about the Lions. Um, I wanted to talk about your background and how you got to be where you are today. It's really an amazing story. I read, and I don't know if this is true, that you didn't play football until you were in
1: college. Is that true? Uh, uh, Pretty close. I actually didn't start playing football until I was, um, I'm trying to think, maybe um, between 16 and 17 years old. So uh, I uh, originally was born Canadian. i was born in halifax nova scotia uh my father was a career naval officer uh, but he was uh english so at that time they were still part of the commonwealth and so he would he served during world war ii and the korean war and after 25 years he retired and so he moved the family to england so when i was four uh my brother and sister and i and, and mom and dad we we moved to portsmouth england uh, Portsmouth was the naval base uh, for the British Navy. That's where D-Day uh, started from. It, it all uh, They all uh, formed there and went over for D-Day at Portsmouth. So my father always loved being around the ocean, loved being around naval areas. And so that's where we moved. So um, I lived in England for 10 years um, till I, I actually left England on my 15th birthday Uh, Unfortunately, my father passed away when I was 14, and my mother, um, during her time of grief, wanted to be closer to her relatives, who were Canadian. And so we moved back to Victoria, British Columbia. So Halifax, Nova Scotia is the East Coast Naval Base for the Canadian Navy, and Victoria, British Columbia is the West Coast Naval Base. That's where my brother and sister were born. So um, that's what I did. I moved when I was 15, enrolled in school, of course, my upbringing was soccer, rugby, cricket. Um, they played soccer and rugby there. And so I I, I went into school sports and, and off of it, you know, people said, hey, you know, uh, you know, you got a pretty strong leg, you know, uh, you know, you like to play sports. Why don't you come out and play football? So it, it was about like when I was 16 or so, I started playing and then uh, 19, I'm in college, you know, so it was pretty quick.
0: And didn't you have an unusual kicking style? They called it soccer style. Is that because you grew up playing soccer?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, at that time, I'm trying to think in the, uh, the mid '70s. I mean, uh, soccer style kicking in football, uh, you know, there were players, and I mean, I, I think uh, Ed Gogolak was the very first soccer style uh, kicker, and then of course the, the uh, Upremian came along, and Jan Stanirud came along, and then the advent of the soccer style uh, type of kicker, uh, became a little bit more prevalent compared to the old straight on kickers, the, the Lou Grozers and Mark Mosley's of the world that, uh, Don that had great careers. So, um, yeah, I, 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 like I said, it was a very quick thing for me. Um, I, I had more of a passion for, for soccer, uh, at that time. And so to me, I, I, I don't want to say it was easy, but I kept thinking, well, you know, you really want to give me a scholarship just to kick this ball through the uprights. So that's really what you want to do. And, and uh, you know, it worked out. But uh, yeah, I was very fortunate, very blessed. And um, uh, it was a, a great time to go to uh, Tulane University at that time and have a great experience. There.
0: So we're already off to a great start. You, you, you get a late start to football. You're not kicking no. the ball the way most people were kicking it at the time. You no. get a scholarship to do it.
1: Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. And yeah, I mean, uh, um, I'll try to make it a short. It's actually, you know, most people have, if they're lucky to have like one fork in the road in their life where they make the right choice or something really positive happens. And and for me, that was it because um, at the time when I graduated from high school, I did not, Go to uh, college. I wasn't from a family of wealth, um, so I went to work, and um, I was working at a lumber yard. A friend of mine's father owned a lumber yard, and I was driving a forklift and putting construction orders together and helping people pick out what they needed and do all that kind of this lumber work, lumber yard work kind of stuff. Uh, and then, unfortunately, at the time, my uh, my mother was um, dying of cancer. She she died shortly, um, so. During this time of being out of school, um, working, um, my mother takes a turn with her health, and so I'm trying to take care of her. So, you know, my life was, you know, i uh, get up and jump on the bus and go to work and come home and go to the hospital and come, you know, and it, it was just evolved. It was a very small world. I was in kind of a small world, and I had this opportunity where uh, some film of me um, kicking out a camp uh, that I went to for the British Columbia Lions, the Canadian football team, they had uh, like a development camp to look for kids to help them get scholarships. And um, of all things, a coach who had just signed as an assistant coach at uh, Lane University, a gentleman called Willard Wells, um, saw this this film and said, "Hey, you know, what, where's this kid? You know, is he still around? How can I get a hold of him?" And he reached out to uh, the head coach, Cal Murphy of the of the BC Lions at the time and said, yeah, he's, you know, he, he's just out there, you know, give him a call. And that was the fork in the road. And then um, I, I got recruited. You know, there's no Google back in 76. Right. It's not like I can Google <laughs> Tulane University. I, did, I had no idea where Tulane, let, let alone Louisiana. I mean, I had no idea. Yeah, you went, you then, went yeah. up the <laughs> to the bottom. Exactly. I mean, you know, anything below the 49th parallel, I really didn't know too much at that time, you know. I was just on my little island on uh, Vancouver Island and living in Victoria. Yeah. So, but uh, your world but, opened
0: up. I'm sorry? Your world opened up.
1: It sure did in, in, a, in a lot of real positive ways. Uh, I mean, I, I was going through some hard time. and Like I would mentioned, um, my uh, I had signed with uh, Tulane. And then about a month or so uh, afterwards, my mother passed away from cancer, and then uh, I went to uh, Tulane a, a month later. And um, uh, so I, I had some rough times, uh, but I had a, a, a really close family of mine uh, that, there that kind of took me under the wing, uh, the uh, Peterson family. They uh, were very involved with uh, the university, and they had a very close-knit uh, Norwegian family. And um, uh, Tulane was very acute of some of the issues I was going through, and uh, that they picked a perfect family to kind of help me go through uh, the issues that I was going through at that time.
0: You know, it's interesting to hear you talk about the fork in the road and the fact that the average person only sees that fork maybe two or three times in their life. Sure. Yeah. Your role as ambassador for Hope Network, you're creating a fork in the road for people that might otherwise not have one.
1: Yeah. I, I, I feel very fortunate to work for Hope Network, but uh, also I, I know for my job as an ambassador is to talk more, and uh, this is what's going to be um, uh, good for me. Uh, come around uh, in um, November when we have our meeting at Tryon, is um, a lot of people, especially in Southeast Michigan and, and in the Tri County area, they don't even know what Hope Network does or what we are, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and and that's bad on our part. Uh, But we have recognized the fact that a lot of people don't realize the services and the things that we do. But in the Tri-County area, we have uh, pretty close to 500 employees, and we do about $30 million worth of services in the Tri-County area. So if you look at that as a nonprofit in the Tri-County area, it's maybe the biggest in the Tri County area, and a lot of people don't realize this. So, and again, that that comes over to us and and myself. Um, uh, I have a new boss. He's named Steve Reagan, and he's been uh, uh, very uh, influential. He was originally um, uh, at Southwest Solutions here in downtown Detroit, which does similar work that Hope Network does, but they do them primarily for uh, veterans. Yeah, uh, I also work with Focus Hope. Um, and uh, I know in the short period of time that uh, he has been the Executive Vice President for uh, Hope Network. I have learned so much from him uh, just with uh, uh, interacting with foundations and I- interacting with philanthropic individuals and corporations uh, that I'm sure people will start to hear a little bit more about what Hope Network does in the Tri-County area. Well, we're gonna get the word out about,
0: about uh, the Hope Network. We're gonna get the word out about December 4th and this luncheon that people can attend. It's fabulous. Um, back to football for just a second. You did some pretty cool things. I, I'm not the biggest football fan in the world, so I hope I have these okay. right. You, um, you had, at at least for one year, maybe two years, for the, with the Detroit Lions, were the highest score on the team. Is that
1: true? Uh, yeah, there, there were a few a uh, few years uh, that I, I led the team in scoring. Um, the kicker. It's yeah. I mean, it, it's it's not a good thing. That means I'm kicking more field goals and we're not scoring enough touchdowns. So. Uh, in, in my tenure with Detroit, uh, you know what we we had some lean years. I think in the twelve years I played for Detroit, uh, I think we only had two winning seasons. Um, uh, so what you know what we struggled a little bit. You know what we had uh, you know some good players. It just we didn't quite have the team to take us. Although my my last year with Detroit, we were uh, twelve and four, and we made it to the NFC Championship game. Uh, which was a pretty special year uh, back in 1991. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's nice, personally. But uh, as a team, uh, it's usually not good when the kicker's scoring a lot of points. And as an
0: individual, you had some pretty cool goals, uh, pretty cool uh, achievements as well. You were named to the Pro Bowl, was it in your rookie year? I was, yes. And yeah. you kicked uh, five field goals, became the only rookie ever to receive the MVP. Is that still true?
1: Uh, there actually, uh, there's now two, uh, when Marshall Falk was a rookie with the Rams, uh, he was, um, uh, a, uh, MVP in the Pro Bowl game, his rookie year. So there's only been yeah. two rookies. Yes.
0: Well, it's an interesting balance always between teamwork and, and solo performance. Uh, speaking of solo performances, you met a lot of the personalities, you played with them, you played against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any favorite stories you like to tell about names of the past, um, Uh, Well,
1: I mean, uh, like you said, I mean, uh, the um, it's hard to pick out one because everybody was, uh, you know, uh, very special and unique. I mean, uh, you know, I know for myself, a lot of, you know, I came in with the Billy Sims draft. I was in Billy's draft. Uh, Billy was very dynamic uh, of a runner, and then the latter part of my career with Detroit, I got the opportunity to play with Barry Sanders. Yeah, which, you know, uh, Hall of Fame and just, you know, arguably you know, what one of the, the top three running backs ever to play the game, um and then to play for the Dallas Cowboys and win a Super Bowl and be with all of the litany of uh Hall of Famers uh that were on that team. Uh Emmett Smith as a running back and and just the different teams and organizations in the latter part of my career that I started to play with uh was um You know, at at the time, I I maybe didn't appreciate it, but I know since retiring, I did. I mean, to to get to see other fan bases and other cities and and enjoy the competition that you have in their divisions. You know, I I mostly played in the NFC East because I played for almost all of them. I played for Dallas and, and, uh, and Philadelphia and Washington. So I played for three of the NFC East teams. So it was always funny for me, you know when I played for Dallas, you know of course we always hated Philly and we hated the Redskins. We wanted to play for the Redskins. We hated Dallas. We hated Philly. You know, so it was it was it was an unusual emotional uh, approach I needed to take uh, to these uh, games. So. Yeah. Um, has football changed much in your view? Well, it, it's it, I. It's hard to say if it's uh, changed for the better. The athlete has changed uh, uh, immensely. I know when I was a rookie in 1980, the biggest guy we had on our team was uh, Bubba Baker, our defensive end. He was our pass rusher. Uh, Bubba was 6'6", 285, maybe up to, you know, 300 pounds, maybe one player. You know, I think our offensive line at that time – We average maybe 270 pounds, maybe 275. Where you look at the teams now and how they're made up, you know, you may have 15 guys over 300 pounds, maybe five over 350 on a team, whether they're offense or defensive linemen. And they all run faster than we did when we were 280 pounds, you know, so that the athlete is bigger and faster and stronger. And for me, that's the biggest change that I see. Uh, I know collectively bargained rules have changed. You know that they're trying to uh, have a a lot of uh, protection of players. Um, Also, the amount of time guys can practice with pads on. All of those things have changed. You know, when when I went to training camp in 1980, we were there for you know pretty close to a month, two days for a month. Now they have camp for. 10 days, and they only practice once a day, and the only, not all the days are in pads. They're only allowed to be in pads at camp, I think, you know, it's like uh, 10 or 12 days, and during the season, they're only allowed to be in pads 15 times the whole year, so it's it's hard for teams to get football ready, because you have to hit and get all that soreness out of, out of your body, and, and I think that has hurt the game, in my opinion, because, okay, You find early in the year a lot of those nicks and bumps and bruises and pulls happen more because these guys don't have that uh, uh, football-ready body. They're in great shape. Uh, They're physically great, but you need to hit each other to get ready. I want
0: to come back to the wear and tear in just a second when we wrap things up, but um, a question about the, the personalities in the game. I think Namath played a bit before you, correct? He did, yes. Yes. Namath back in the day was pretty flashy by most standards and guys like Cam Newton today. Is this good for the game? Uh, I noticed that football really plays it down. The the people kind of watch it from the outside. These guys get a disproportionate
1: amount of attention. Well, uh, again, yeah, I I, I think that has a lot to do with social media. I mean, um, uh, I, I, I know personally, I'm not big in uh, social media. I think, I think I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram. That's about all I'm on. And uh, 95% of it is I'm on LinkedIn because of work, you know, so I try to utilize that. And and my daughter uh, got me to get on Instagram kind of thing just to put myself out there a little bit. But I, I don't know how I would have handled it if I was in the social media era because um, but I was a little bit more um, private around what I did. Not only off the field, but I let my 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 actions prove what I did on the field. I don't need to show off, or I don't need to exemplify how good or how bad or what situations are, and being um, um, negative about certain things and putting your opinion out there. I I, I just think um, some of the players get a little little too over the over the top with some of the, the things on social media. And, and, I, and I think that's hurtful sometimes.
0: Yeah, I think so too. It's just distracting from the, the essence of the sport, the beauty of yeah. the sport. It's true right. in any sport, by the way, not just football. The social yeah. media. yeah,
1: is No, it, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, it's sports all, all over the globe. I mean, soccer to yeah. all, all everything. There's always something going on.
0: So let's close with a little merging of the two topics, uh, football and, <clears> and Hope Network. It's not lost on me that CTE is a big part of the football thing today. And Mm -hmm. here you are now helping people with uh, recover from mental illness, which could include CTE injuries, correct?
1: Yeah, it could. I mean, um, uh, like I said, we cover the whole gamut when it comes to uh, uh, mental health. So, like I said, it could be something from birth. Uh, that you have, and and, and these uh, uh, individuals are are trying to navigate life and have some independence, and we try to help them get to as close of an independent life as they possibly can, as well as it could be a stroke victim, it could be catastrophic injury, it could be a workplace injury where they get hit uh, in in the head and they have a closed head injury, and we try to uh, get them back uh, to a... a good normal life that they had pri- uh, prior to that. So um, yeah, CT is- issues can be out there also uh, that we deal with with some of the individuals also.
0: Yeah. Well, you are doing hero work. Uh, you seem like <laughs> such a nice person. I can't wait to meet you on December 4th when we all get together at the Troy Rotary Luncheon. It's a public event, of course, everybody. Mm-hmm. It's open to anybody that wants to come. And this is December 4th. It will be held at Tryon Solutions, which is on Big Beaver Road in Troy, Michigan. Um, so come join us, 11.30 to one thirty. I put all the details in the comments down below. Um, and look into Hope Network, everybody. Everybody likes to give back. Sometimes the hardest part of giving back, Eddie, is finding organizations that are doing good yep. work that you can trust, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Hope Network has got to be at the top of that list.
1: Well, uh, I, I, I'm being biased, of course, because I've been involved with them for 10 years. And, um, uh, you know, my first seven sitting on the board, where we were touching upon earlier and then these past three years um uh, phil weaver asked if i would uh take a full-time position uh, uh with the the organization be director of donor relations for southeast michigan so it was a pretty easy yes for me uh so I, i'm very biased with what we do because I, I think there are a lot of great organizations out there that do very similar work to us uh, i i just think that we we um are exemplary in our services uh, we really fill in those Really hard cases. Uh, a lot of organizations have difficulty um, taking those because they are difficult, you know. And uh, some of these people may not get to where they would like to get to. And so, um, but we we take all of the really the the really worst cases out there and uh, do a really good job with these people. Uh, our uh, social worker staff, our our uh, managers, they just do an unbelievable job. Uh, with uh, making their uh, lives uh, as as fruitful as they possibly can. Fabulous! I was just checking the website.
0: It's hopenetwork.org. Everybody, if you want to get involved with their uh, with their organization, I see two locations on the Michigan map: one in Pontiac and one in Grand Rapids. I, I know there are more, but those are the two main ones.
1: Uh, those are the two main ones. Yes. So uh, we have a, a, a more of an administrative office in in Pontiac. Uh, about six or seven years ago, we acquired uh new passages um and uh they were predominantly a drug rehab facility and a group home uh and so we acquired the group homes and made them more into a mental health side of group homes Uh, uh, at this point in time we have uh, over 300 group homes around the state of michigan where we place individuals that have come out of our uh, rehab facilities to our um, hospital settings Uh, Or they could be coming from home situations where now the caregiver can't take care of them because they could have gotten older. And now, but they still want to have some independence where they can take care of themselves. They still may be getting uh, services or they have a job, but they need a place to live. So we place them in our group homes. And all of our group homes have medical staff, mostly administrating uh, um, medications to them. So there's 24-7 medical staff at every group home that we have. Uh, but there are four to six individuals in each home, and we got them mostly scattered around the state.
0: Yeah. Well, you're fantastic. I'm very impressed. Uh, everything I heard about you is true. You're such a nice guy. Thanks Thank for you. what you do for Hope Network. Thanks for I being at the luncheon on December 4th. Um, and uh, go Lions.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. look forward to seeing everybody on December 4th. Thanks, Eddie. Take care.